welcome. You're listening to a sermon podcast from Oak Hills Church in Folsom, California. Fascinating story, fascinating passage, and today's topic is desiring wisdom. And this is remarkably relevant in these chaotic and confusing times in which we are currently living every single day. The pandemic has certainly intensified the chaos and the confusion, but it seems to me the chaos and the confusion and the disorder of our times, at least for those who are followers of Jesus, ultimately has to do with trying to discern wisdom and truth, right and wrong, good and bad, from the myriad of opinions, ideas, perspectives, and slants that come at us every day from every direction. How do followers of Christ sift and sort all of this noise so we know how to live as God's people in the midst of the real circumstances of our lives? I have this image in my mind of any single one of us standing in five feet of snow at the bottom of a lonely Sierra Nevada mountain at 8 a.m. on any given morning. And up at the top of the mountain, we see the beginnings of an avalanche starting to curl and fold its way down the mountain, speeding straight at us as we're standing in this five feet of snow. And this avalanche is the daily barrage of opinions and perspectives and information, all purporting to be factual, that comes rushing at us every single day. How desperately we need wisdom from God to navigate the chaos in a manner that honors Him and proclaims His good news, because that is our chief passion and purpose as followers of Christ. So we're in week two of this proverbial wisdom series that we began last weekend where we are considering the life and the journey of King Solomon from the Old Testament. We're not traveling chronologically through Solomon's life, but rather we are taking significant chapters in his story and trying to unpack them for their insights into life in real world settings. And of all the events in Solomon's life, and there are very many recorded in the Bible, this event from our scripture reading was a defining moment in both his life and in his leadership. The wisdom of Solomon is still today a phrase occasionally used to reference the ultimate standard of wisdom, the highest bar of wisdom, if you will. And when we pick up his story in 1 Kings 3, right where we started reading, Solomon is now the king of Israel, but this did not come easy. A good portion of Chapter 1 and chapter 2 of 1 Kings uh, tells in gory detail the many obstacles that were in the way of Solomon becoming king. And to kind of give you a picture of these obstacles, to use a few familiar words, there was chaos, there was disorder, there was infighting, there was rivalry, there was tension, there was dissension. There were revenge killings, and there was a whole lot of power grabs by various people along the way. Pretty much 
the typical messiness we find when human beings are vying for power in any given situation. And I want us to keep this context in mind as we walk through this event in Solomon's story. I want us to bear in mind that the cultural setting of this event was chaos, disorder, infighting, all kinds of things that were right there at the surface. It helps frame what we're going to talk about. Well, the last verse in 1 Kings chapter 2, just before we get to our scripture reading, says, the kingdom was now established in Solomon's hands. And then we come to our scripture reading, the part we read. This pivotal point at the beginning of Solomon's reign. God appears to Solomon at night through a dream, we are told. And God says to Solomon, this is verse Five, ask whatever you want me to give you. Now, can you imagine that? I mean, that right there, just back up. Ask for whatever you want me to give you. I mean, so much about us would be revealed through our answer to this question from God. Things like what makes us tick would be revealed. What do we actually care about would be revealed. What do we desire, that would be revealed. All of it would come through our response. Well, Solomon's answer comes in verse 7, and here's what he says. I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong For who is able to govern this great people of yours? There's another account of the same scene in 2 Chronicles chapter 1. And in that version of it, Solomon answers the same statement from God. Ask whatever you want. Solomon says, give me wisdom and knowledge. Give me wisdom and knowledge. That's some answer to some question. And God is delighted with Solomon's response because as The scripture said he didn't ask for long life, wealth, the death of his enemies, possessions, honor, world peace, the Packers to win the Super Bowl, the Cowboys to lose today, whatever. He didn't ask for those silly things. His answer is astounding, really. Talk about diving in, camping, just sort of dwelling in Solomon's answer. It's rather profound. In my words, he says, I'm just a kid, God, and I'm in over my head with this king thing. I'm a little child, is the phrase he uses. And I have no clue how to do this. See, he's on the precipice of a new job, a new challenge. And already, as I mentioned, there's been all kinds of chaos, disorder, fighting, Dissension, division, rivalry, that's in his day. It might sound familiar to you. Chaos, disorder, fighting, division, rivalry. And Solomon asks for wisdom for his job as king and ruler and mediator over this nation. One striking feature of his response is that it is thoroughly other-centered. He is the God of the universe basically saying to him, ask for whatever you want, and I'm going to give it to you. 
But Solomon is not thinking about bettering himself for his own sake. He's thinking about how he can best serve others through the role God has given him. So young as he was, his answer actually reveals the wisdom he already possessed. His request for wisdom, in other words, demonstrates his wisdom. Another striking feature of his response is that Solomon seems to believe something about God that often it seems to me we don't. See, Solomon believed he could not do his job or fulfill his responsibilities without God's help. Like, literally, without God intervening and enabling and empowering. He could not be a king who brought forth goodness for others without God's help. And Solomon knew God was the kind of God who is present and active in the everyday happenings of one's life. Solomon knew, to put it this way, Solomon knew that God knew more about being king than anyone else in the entire universe. See, no one knows more than God himself about your unique circumstances. No one knows more than God himself about our jobs, our families, the pressure points we're staring at, the situations of our lives. And no one knows more than God how to navigate those things in ways that are good and right and flourishing. And Solomon knew this. At this point in his life, he knew this. He knew if I'm going to be a king and bring goodness and rightness and justice and flourishing to those I serve, I need to ask God because he knows how to do that. So he asked God for wisdom in the particulars of his new vocation and calling. So pick whatever issue you want happening in the world today. I'll give you a few to pick from. Racism, politics, Joe Biden's performance, immigration, the job market, abortion, a marriage struggle, confusion about a career or next steps, a leadership challenge, a relational challenge your own battle with loneliness. Pick whatever issue you want. Those are one other. Standing at the base of that lonely mountain while the avalanche of information and opinions and ideas and perspectives come barreling down on us as it relates to that issue, how do we as Christ followers wisely navigate those issues and discern what is right and good and true in the midst of all the noise and chaos and perspective and the avalanche of information. So let's talk about wisdom and knowledge. It's fairly common for people to say, I need wisdom in this or that situation. Pray that God would give me wisdom. People sometimes pray, God, give me wisdom as I fill in the blank. Or give us wisdom as we fill in the blank. But when we ask for wisdom from God, what actually are we asking for? We are asking, I would submit to you, we are asking God to guide us 
to do what he wants in the way he wants at the time he wants and we turn to him because we believe he possesses supreme knowledge about reality regarding this or that issue. That's why we ask him for wisdom. We believe he knows what is very best regarding this or that issue. He knows what flourishing looks like in this or that issue. He knows what it looks like for his kingdom to break into whatever issue you picked a minute ago. He knows what it looks like for his kingdom to break into that issue. So we ask him for his wisdom. Now, he might bring his guidance to us through one another. He might bring it to us through another person. He might bring it to us through the Bible. He might bring it to us through a time of prayer we have. He might bring it to us through a nudging of God's spirit that we have. He might bring it to us through a piece of last night's deep dish pizza. He can use whatever he chooses. But we're asking God for wisdom because we think he knows best. See, wisdom and knowledge are best friends. They belong to each other. And they need each other. Because real wisdom is based on reliable knowledge. And when reliable knowledge leads to action, it results in wise living. A couple of weeks ago, I had someone come and do a routine maintenance check on our furnace and they noticed something wasn't right with one of the burners. One of the many new words I learned that day was burner. So now I talk like I know what that is. But they said there was something not right with one of the burners. I believe they said it was sputtering. And the guy showed me, and you know how you do this, you nod your head just like thing could be doing anything. And if you say it's sputtering, I guess it's sputtering. So I nodded my head. After trying to resolve the problem, the guy said to me, that the repair task was over his head. So we called another technician. That guy came. He saw the sputtering. He had a few ideas, and a few days later, he came back to implement those ideas, but his fixes didn't fix it. So that guy called his boss, and his boss gave him another idea, and a few days later, that second guy came back and tried that solution, but it didn't fix it either. So a few days after that, two brand-new technicians came. One guy's name was Matt. And Matt and this other guy were there for about two and a half hours, and they tried all kinds of stuff and finally fixed it. Now, I have some knowledge of furnaces. It's very basic. I know what they are. I generally know what they do, what their point on this planet is. I sort of get that. So we might say that Mike is acquainted with furnaces. All the technicians who came over the course of the couple of weeks, they all know more about furnaces than I do. They know how they work. They know the various parts that comprise a healthy furnace. They understand the inner workings of a furnace. So I'm acquainted with furnaces, but they're intelligent about furnaces. Let's say it this way. They have a greater grasp on furnace reality than I do. But Matt, was the expert, at least on our furnace. Matt had supreme knowledge about our furnace. Not because he got more multiple choice questions right on a test about furnaces, but because he had reliable knowledge 
about furnaces, and he knew what to do with that knowledge. He knew how to, if you will, live out that knowledge in the real-life context of our sputtering burner. And I will tell you, this is the essence of wisdom. So borrowing a cadence used by the ancient philosopher Aristotle, we might say wisdom is knowing and then doing the right thing in the right way at the right time. So when we ask God for wisdom, when we ask for wisdom from God, we're asking him to empower and enable us to take what we know about him and about life in his kingdom and live it out in our real life settings. See, Solomon knew God had reliable knowledge about the reality of being a king. Did you hear that? He knew God had reliable knowledge about the reality of being a king, so he went to God and asked him for help. See, for Solomon, God was the wisest being in the universe on the topic of running a kingdom. Question. Is Jesus Christ the wisest being in the universe on any topic you or I can come up with? Does he have reliable knowledge about the reality of, and now you fill in the blank. Is Jesus the wisest being in the universe on the subject of blank? Does Jesus have supreme knowledge? Is Jesus like Matt when it comes to the particulars of life? See, knowledge about what is real and what is right and what is good is at the core of the Christian concept of wisdom. Let me put it this way. What the Bible says, the principles it promotes, the character it upholds, the way of Jesus, his life, his teaching, his approach, how he handles various situations, how he reacts, for example, when he suffers. These are not random or haphazard suggestions to improve one's life. Rather, the Bible and the life and the teaching and the way and the example of Jesus Christ represent knowledge of reality as God designed it and intended it to be encountered and navigated. As an example, when Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, He's not randomly tossing out a piece of advice for those who might want to try it. He's giving us reliable knowledge regarding how to deal with our enemies in a way that is best for them, best for us, and most reflective of who Jesus is and how he does it. Which, as his follower is our passion. You see, the knowledge uh, Jesus has about life, about all those issues I mentioned or you thought of a moment ago, and how it all works, the knowledge Jesus has about it is knowledge of reality. It's life reality. 
whether we think so, believe so, or agree so. So wisdom from God has everything to do with very earthy things, like being a kid who is now the king, or living during a pandemic, being frustrated with masks, being confused about the future, getting angry. Wisdom from God has everything to do with very earthy things like wanting things to go our way. Wisdom has to do with the nitty-gritty things in this life like anger, lust, divorce, politics, marriage, anxiety, raising children, sorting out differences of opinion, navigating disagreements and conflicts, being disappointed in Joe Biden, being lonely, being scared. And if we take the Bible at face value, then we must deal with the fact that it claims Jesus Christ is the wisest being in the universe on these topics I just mentioned and every other topic. And if we want to live wisely for his glory and fame, then we ask him for help to navigate the concrete issues of our lives. I'll leave this point at this. Proverbs 1.7. Again, Solomon's fingerprints are all over the Proverbs and all over Ecclesiastes. Proverbs 1.7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. You see those two words. Knowledge and wisdom. The fear of the Lord. A right relationship with God. Recognizing who he is is the beginning of of knowledge. Proverbs 2.6 For the Lord gives wisdom and from his mouth come knowledge, that word again, and understanding. So secondly, let's talk about vetting, quote-unquote, wisdom. Who or what most influences my way of thinking, my perspective, my attitude, my opinions on all the various issues of modern life? Who is it? Or what is it? Well, the answer reveals the name of my primary discipler and teacher. And as I said, we live in the path of an avalanche of personalities and voices and opinions, all applying for the job of being our discipler and our teacher. But for the Christian, for the Christ follower, that job is already filled. So all of the other candidates trying to take his job, this job in our lives of disciple and teacher should be vetted to see if what they're advocating is actually wisdom from God or something else from somewhere else. So just to say it once more, and just to kind of make sure that uh, we're all on the same page here, God's wisdom comes to us through other people, comes to us as we immerse ourselves in his word. It comes to us as the Holy Spirit prompts us and speaks to us. It comes to us as we pray and God talks to us. And it can be complicated to live wisely in today's world. I'm not at all trying to suggest that this is a just add water kind of a simple formula. That, oh, just do this and all of a sudden all of these complexities will get clear in an instant. I'm not saying that at all. But God's wisdom is our desire. And so we have to vet the other stuff 
that is coming at us, the other parts of the uh, avalanche that come at us as best we can. I hope you've had the chance to start the daily reading plan that we mentioned last uh, last weekend of going through Proverbs. This series, we're reading one chapter a day from Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, two books that are both filled with Solomon's fingerprints. And the book of Proverbs begins by saying, the Proverbs of Solomon for gaining wisdom and understanding, instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young, let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance. And then Solomon says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. When Solomon asked for wisdom then, he wasn't asking for information about theology or about religion. He was asking God to give him instruction and understanding and insight into what was right and just and fair and good in the particulars of everyday life, which is why the book of Proverbs and the book of Ecclesiastes deal extensively with real-life issues. And Solomon says the fear of God or a proper relationship with God is the beginning of knowledge about those real-life issues. So in the ever and never-ending noise of voices giving us wisdom these days about what to think and what to do and what to feel and how to react and what attitudes to have about everything under the sun, how do we discern what of all that is God's wisdom and what of all that is nonsense? And you know what? Fortunately, the Bible actually answers this question pretty clearly by giving the characteristics of true wisdom and the characteristics of nonsense. It's all in James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18, which was part of the call to worship we read earlier today. We don't have time to read that. I would, invi- I would encourage you to read it, but I'll just tell you what it says. It says, wisdom that comes from God is pure, peace-loving, considerate, Submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial, sincere. Now, there's a whole lot we could say about that. But one thing is abundantly clear from that list. God's wisdom has the qualities of other-centeredness and humility embedded all over it. Peace-loving. Considerate submissive, merciful, impartial. James goes on to the next. Wisdom from below, he puts it. Wisdom from earth, according to James, and these are his words, is bitter envy. Which, when you dig into what that means, two other words sometimes get used there. It's harsh zeal. He goes on. It's selfish ambition. It's got the quality of selfishness on it. He goes on. There's disorder that comes from it. There's boasting. And it's divisive. Sounds exactly like the era preceding Solomon taking the throne. And it sounds pretty similar to the era you're living in and I'm living in. 
See, the earth's wisdom has the qualities of selfishness and rivalry all over it. So, God's wisdom, other-centered, and humility. The earth's wisdom, selfishness and rivalry. So if the who or what that most influences my way of thinking, my perspective, my attitude, my opinions on the various issues I mentioned a moment ago in modern life or that you thought of, if the who or what that most influences me promotes other-centeredness and humility, humility, then my discipler and my teacher could very well be leading me into God's wisdom. If the who or what that most influences my way of thinking, my perspective, my attitude, my opinions on the various issues of modern life promotes, on the other side, selfishness and rivalry, then my discipler and my teacher could very well be leading me away from God's wisdom and into the earth's wisdom. So we, as followers of Jesus, need to vet the voices, the perspectives, the slants, the opinions, and see if they line up with other centeredness and humility. For if they are dripping with selfishness and rivalry, it's probably not the wisdom of God. Lastly, let's talk about seeking wisdom. I just have to say, I mean, I know I get sometimes too far into this stuff, perhaps, but this one I got really far into it. This one struck me, this whole thing struck me as, we need this. We need what this guy did. We need it in the dailiness of our lives. Or the phrase I'm using, we need to be seekers of wisdom, especially when every day we're at the base of that lonely mountain and the avalanche of opinions and perspectives is going to come at us yet again. We need to be seekers of true wisdom. In every situation in our lives today, Jesus wants to help us live out the good and the right and leave the evil and the bad. He wants to help us know and do the right thing in the right way at the right time. He wants us to know and do the right thing in the right way at the right time. And there is no situation in our lives that is irrelevant to Jesus or beyond the scope of his interest or his wisdom. So in your job as a business person, in your parenting, in your marriage, in your divorce, in your loneliness, in your pain, in your sickness, in your conflicts, in your work at the school, in your school work, or at the hospital, or at the plumbing company, or at the furnace fixing company, Jesus wants to help us know and do the right thing in the right way and at the right time. And there are many ways to seek wisdom so we can do that. One is to immerse ourselves in his scripture. One way is to read through Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and simply watch how things that are said there will absolutely go one-to-one application into a situation you're facing in life. All kinds of practical stuff. You'll find it as we sink ourselves and immerse ourselves in the Scripture. That's one way to seek true wisdom. Obviously, prayer is another way. 
All kinds of things we could talk about. But I want to focus on one other way. And it's found in Colossians 2, 2 through 3. I'm going to read this to you. Paul is speaking to the church, and this is what he says. He says, my goal is that they, read that as us, may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, and here's the phrase, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Those two words again. Wisdom and knowledge. That they may know Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Well, Paul, come on. You're exaggerating to try to persuade us. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are packed into Jesus? Paul is making an audacious claim, my friends, that Jesus Christ, his way, his truth, his life, his example, his approach, his teaching, his attitude, his heart, his responses, his reactions, his perspectives contain all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge built into ultimate reality by God himself. He knows reality better than anyone. And there's nothing in your life or in mine that Jesus does not understand or know how to deal with in the right way and at the right time. How do I deal with pain in my body? He knows. How do I deal with the difficult worker at the office? He knows. How do I deal with too little money in my bank account? He knows. How do I live in a pandemic? He knows. And this is where Jesus is not like Matt. Because in this how do I scenario... Jesus does not always, and maybe rarely, comes to fix. Matt's job is to fix. Jesus' job is not to fix. Jesus' job is to equip us and to prepare us and to form us so that in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the advancing avalanche, we stand solidly on his reliable knowledge, and we live wisely in the midst of the chaos. So we turn to the Bible to immerse ourselves in the wisdom and knowledge of Jesus. We could even say it this way, that since Jesus has come, the Bible gives for us the way of Jesus in all its brilliant color. And so when we read something and then we look in the life of Jesus, we're looking to find what we're reading manifested in his life. And if it isn't in his life or teaching and we're thinking, well, this is saying this, if it's not being manifested in the teaching, in the life, in the personality, in the way, in the attitude of Jesus, then we're probably not getting it the way we're intending to get it. 
So I'll end with this. James tells you and me exactly what Solomon discovered. And thank God for it. Because James 1.5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Is that not astounding? It will be given to you. So let's pray and ask for it. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful for the never-ending trails we discover if we want to discover them. The depth and the breadth and the height and the width of who you are. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in you for us to seek after and discover that we might know how to live wisely in situation blank. And I pray that you would help us to become people who live wisely, to do that deep interior work that forms us to be like you, that we might live like you and choose wisely and navigate the noise and endure the avalanche, standing firm on the reliable knowledge you have given us about reality in your being, in your word, and in your example. And we pray all this in your name.